Well, first of all, it's such a pleasure to be here with you. I've known some of you for many years, some for less time, um, and some of you I'm not familiar with just yet, but I look forward to having a little time with you. Um, this morning we'll be looking at 1 John 3, the first three verses, and as mentioned, this passage focuses on the privilege of our being God's children. So please turn to your Bibles now to 1 John chapter 3 and listen as I read. And I'll actually be starting um, just a few verses ahead to give it some context. Um, 1 John 2, starting in verse 28. This is the word of God. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Father, we pray that you will apply these words to our hearts, and that your word will not return void in us. Lord, I pray you'll guide me as I speak and give me your words. In Christ's name, amen. Adoption is quite a beautiful thing. We take a child who does not have a family um, or not where they're secure and well cared for in any way, um, but when they are adopted, they take the name of their adopted family. They are cared for as a true son or a daughter. They gain the heritage of that family that was not theirs by birth. They now belong and are cared for. And as I look out over this gathering, I'm guessing there might be someone who's been adopted. I don't know. Um, and in fact, I'm going to guess that a majority of you are adopted. And my deep desire is that all of you will be adopted. And if you're not, that you will be. Now, some of you are tracking with what I'm saying perfectly. Others might be wondering, what is this guy talking about? I'm not adopted. Well, by our nature, apart from Christ... We were enemies of God and certainly not his natural children. However, from eternity past, God determined that he would adopt some to be his children, a people for his own possession, a people who would glorify him. God accomplished this redeeming work through, of the, through the whole... Sorry? God accomplished this redeeming work through the obedience of his, and sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit. He drew us to himself that we would put our trust in Christ and so have peace with God. He adopted us and made us his children 
When God adopted us as his children, he gave us a new nature and a new identity. The verses we will be considering this morning speak of what this all means to us and give us great hope as we seek to live the lives that he has called us to live as his children. Now, before we focus on this particular passage, I'd like to talk a little bit about the book of 1 John as a whole. Um, And it's good for us to look at these verses in that context. First of all, 1 John is written to Christians. This is evident in the passage we just read. It is confirmed in 5.13 where he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's important to note that when it says, it's talking about you in this passage, that's talking to Christians. If you're not one of his children, if you have not put your faith in him, he's not speaking to you. Although, even if you do not yet know Christ, um, these words are important for you too. Now, secondly, in all of 1 John, an important thing theme is our putting aside of sin. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. In this vein, note a repeated word throughout this book is love. John defines sin as in much of the scripture in terms of love. Sin is... On one hand, disobeying God's commands, but really that's all contained in our loving God and our loving our neighbor as ourselves. So we need to keep this in mind as we look particularly at these verses, which deal with our identity, who we are in Christ. What you do comes from who you are and what your identity is. Now, when you look specifically at 1 John 3, 1 through 3, um, we'll be looking at four main points. Um, and it might be easier to remember if we kind of group them in pairs. Um, so first two, our being God's children demonstrates God's great love for us. And in contrast to God's love for us, our being God's children results in the world's hatred of us. So we see God's love contrasted with the world's hatred. And then the third and fourth points, we see the realization of our becoming, of our being God's children over time. On one hand, our being God's children is a reality now. And on the other hand, it will be fully realized when Christ returns. So we are now a new creature in Christ, but there will still be a significant change from what we are now to what will we be. We will be at Christ's return. So let's look at these points in a little greater detail. So first, we see that our being God's children demonstrates God's great love for us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The Greek word translated what kind or how great um, in some translations occurs only six times in all of the New Testament. And each time it speaks of something exceptional and out of the ordinary. 
God's love for us is truly exceptional. And there's two ways I'm going to suggest that this, we see this as evident. First, God chose to adopt us before he even created the universe. I've heard it said, God, God never started loving us. or God never, how'd it go? God never started loving us. He never started loving us. He never stopped loving us because he never started. I think is how it goes. Sorry. Um, I should have gotten my quote straight before I tried to do it ad-lib. Um, so, God loved us from eternity. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 8, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We were chosen before the foundation of the world. This wasn't just some last-minute whim, but he set his heart on us long ago, and he chose to adopt us as his sons and daughters. Just to be lowly servants in his house would be a great privilege. But God made us his children. And this wasn't cheap. So the second evidence of the greatness of God's love for us is that Christ paid a high price for a sinful people. Romans 5, we read in verses 6 and 7, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his great love for us by paying a great price to redeem us. The greatness of God's love is underscored by the fact that Christ died not for the righteous, but he died for sinners who deserve his wrath. How often do we show love for a person who has only earned our anger? God's love is great. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And this truth gives us great hope as we in our hope and our security in Christ as we struggle through sin, as we struggle through life's battles, as we think, who am I? We know that God has showed his great love toward us. And we can be assured that as our loving Heavenly Father, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, as we read in Philippians 1.6. Do you sometimes get discouraged in your walk with Christ? In your battle with sin? Know that you have a heavenly father who loves you deeply and will do his work in you. So we have seen that our being God's children demonstrates God's great love for us. 
In contrast to God's love for us, we now consider that our being God's children results in the world's hatred of us. Um, this isn't something that people like to hear. It's not like a reality that we enjoy necessarily, but it's what we see in Scripture. In the latter part of verse 1, it says, The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And a bit later in verse 13, it says, Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. And we can see that that comes from who we're serving. Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled many prophecies. He performed many miracles. But the Jews of his day rejected him and hated him. In John 5, starting in verse 39, we read, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. The Jews of Jesus' day had the scripture, and they knew the scripture. And they had all the evidence they needed to see that Jesus was the Christ. But they suppressed that truth in their unrighteousness. And then they killed Jesus. So as the world has rejected Jesus, we should not be surprised or alarmed when it rejects us as well. And Jesus was plain about this. In John 15, starting in verse 18, he re we read, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, that the, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So in this world, we can expect hatred and persecution directed toward us. This is what Jesus received, and this is what we should expect at the same. We sometimes think that we're just nice, loving Christians. Um, then everyone will like us. And if, we, and if they don't, then we must have done something wrong. And this isn't always the case. The gospel is offensive to those who have set themselves against God. Now, I don't think these words are here for us to feel, oh, woe is us, the world hates us, wine, wine, wine. But I think it is an encouragement to us that when we encounter these things, we don't need to be alarmed and we can fall back on the fact that we have a loving God and, and also it's an encouragement to us in our obedience to keep obeying even in the face of these things. Today in some parts of the world Christians are greatly persecuted and killed for their faith and in this country, in this state we have people that, for speaking the truth, they lose their jobs or have their 
businesses threatened. Um, because they've taken a, view, a biblical stand for marriage or just the gospel. Um, now, does this mean that we're to try to make enemies of the world, that we're trying to earn the world's hatred? Hatred? Well, no. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In Romans 12 18. So, be kind, be winsome. Yet, don't be surprised or alarmed or discouraged when we, when we suffer for our allegiance to Christ. Acts chapter 5, five tells us about the time when the apostles were imprisoned and put on trial before the council. They were instruct, strictly instructed to no longer teach in the name of Christ. So what did they say? They said this, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This, of course, was not well received. Some wanted to kill them. Nevertheless, the apostles were released, but only after they were beaten. They might have been very well thought that, boy, that wasn't a very good day, getting beaten like that. But what was their response? Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So, a few questions for you to consider. In your efforts to be inoffensive, do you hide the gospel? Do you remain silent in the face of evil, reasoning that you can't change anything anyway? Do you compromise the little things to please others? We read from Deuteronomy, we're to fear God. We're to fear God. We're to seek to do whatever would please him. We are not to fear men. So don't be surprised or alarmed when you experience hardship as a result of your living out your Christian faith as for being obedient to Christ. And when hardship does come, rejoice in it, knowing that a greater reward awaits you. So we've seen our being God's children demonstrates God's great love for us. It results in the world's hatred of us. And thirdly, our being God's children is a reality now. In verse 2 we read, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Sometimes we, we see the, our faults and say, Am I really God's children, child? Well, what we will be has not yet appeared. Christ has done a great work in us, but we still fail. If you examine yourself in the light of God's word, you will see that not a day goes by that you don't break God's law. The Westminster Shorter Catechism states this plainly in verse question 82. Is any man perfectly able to keep the commandments of God? And the answer, 
No mere man since the fall is able in this life to perfectly keep the commandments of God, but doth daily break them in thought, word, and deed. As John says, what we will be has not yet appeared. We haven't arrived yet, and even now, but even now, we are the children of God. Paul's letter to the Romans says in chapter 8, starting in verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified him, with him. We now have the privileges of being children of God. We aren't just the servants in God's house, but we have been adopted as God's children. We aren't like employees to be let go if things don't work out. We are his children, and we are his heirs with Christ. And we are now being led by his spirit. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are free to serve God obediently. We are now children of God. So our being God's children demonstrates God's great love for us. It results in the world's hatred of us. It is a reality now. And finally, our being God's children will be fully realized when Christ appears. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. Now, we now as God's children have been granted a measure of victory over sin through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. God has made us new and has given us a desire to please him. Yet, even as God's children, we continue to be plagued by sin, disobedience to God's law. We're often proud, selfish, and we yield to our sinful desires. We let, we let anger take root at times. Rather than resting in God for our security, we look to our own resources. In short, we fail to love God and love each other as we should. Yes, God is working in us, but we haven't arrived yet. But we finally shall be like him. Our struggle with sin will be finally over. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. We will finally be made like him, free from sin. When Christ returns, all men will see him, but not all will see him as he is. But because we will be made like him, we will see him as he is. Seeing Christ as he really is is a privilege only his children will enjoy. This is a great comfort and a cause for hope as we struggle now with sin. As God's children, we will finally be conformed to his image. Think of a children that resemble their father more and more. Um, 
we will resemble our Heavenly Father more and more, especially and particularly when he returns, we will be made like him. And we'll finally be able to see his face. In Exodus 33, we read about Moses requesting to see God's glory. God's reply was, in part, you cannot see my face and live. Even though Moses was a great man of God with whom the Lord would speak face to face as a man speaks with his friend, Moses could not see God's face and live. He could not see God as he is. God did grant Moses' request in part. The Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand in the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So even Moses this great man of God could not see God fully, but we will be changed, so we will be able to see God as he is. And all creation anticipates that day. Romans 8, starting in verse 18, we read, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. When man fell into sin, the whole creation was subjected to futility. But when Christ returns, when we are fully made into his likeness, then the whole creation will set, be set free. Now be a glorious event when our being God's children is fully realized and it's a great hope that we have and by this hope, we overcome sin. In verse 3 of our text, we read, And everyone who, has the, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. As a person undertakes making changes in his life, he needs to have some confidence that he'll be successful. When a person goes to a counselor, part of the job of that counselor is to give him hope. Hey, this, this can get better. But where does that hope come from? Does it come from having a good self-esteem? Hey, you can do it. Is that where our hope comes from? John tells us in this passage where our hope should be placed. Our hope is not in ourselves. It is not to come from some good we see in ourselves, from our self-esteem. If we see ourselves clearly, we will see the hopelessness of depending on ourselves. And our hope must not be in others. Other people will let you down. Rather, our hope must rest on Christ himself, as John tells us in verse 3. Our hope is a confident expectation that we will be made like Christ. 
That's what we have to look forward to. And having been made like Christ, we shall see him just as he is. And this hope enables us and drives us to put aside sin. Now, the verses immediately following this passage, um, starting in verse 4, we read, and this kind of speaks of our problem of sin um, and how that relates to our being God's child. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has ever seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, do these verses teach that a Christian never sins? It may appear that way on the surface, but we need to look at what else John says about sin. In chapter 1, verse 8, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So these verses don't mean that the child of God never sins. But as children of God, we don't persist in sin. We don't continue in it. Rather, with God's help, we continually put aside our sin and turn away from it. Continuing in our sin and not repenting and turning away from it is not compatible with being a child of God. So, ch children, um, what is the relationship between sin and our identity as children of God? What does it mean? What can we? Does do we become children of God by not sinning? Well, no. And maybe we can see the relationship between our being children of God, who we are, um, with this perhaps somewhat silly illustration. Let's say we have a chicken, but we would rather have a duck. Okay, so we have our chicken, so we, we're going to take it and give it duck lessons, okay? So we're going to try to teach that chicken to waddle like a duck. Do you think you might be able to do that? It might be able to do that. Um, can we teach that chicken to quack like a duck? Um, no, no, no way. It will still be a chicken. And that chicken can never become a duck on its own. Um, it would have to be completely transformed into a duck. That would be a miracle, wouldn't it? Um, now, in the same way, we need God to adopt us as his children for us to act like his children. We need the transforming work of the Holy Spirit 
We need to be made a new creature that we may not continue in our sin. What we do comes from what we are. This is God's work. He must remove from our heart, remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. He gives us new life and makes us a new creature, makes us a new creation so that we can please him. Our illustration, of course, falls short. There's nothing wrong with chicken. But we, before God changes us, we stand condemned. We are objects of God's wrath. We are slaves to sin. So the problem of sin is solved not through working harder, but through God's changing us. So let's look to him as we battle with sin. If you are God's child, set your eyes on Christ's return and are being made into his likeness. Yes, we still sin and it's discouraging, but know that he will finally change you when he returns. And if you don't know Christ, seek him. Seek the change that only he can bring. And then do what you are as God's child. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for making us your children. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us that you've shed on us. Lord, we thank you for the perspective we can have, the world's hatred of us. We thank you that you bore that hatred more than any of us. Lord, we thank you that we have even now the privileges and the joys of being your children. And we look forward to your return when we experience that most fully. We thank you and praise you for that privilege. In Christ's name, amen.